0: Well, good morning. Good to see you here today. If you have your Bibles, I'll ask you to turn over to 1 Corinthians 14. I was um, thinking back upon some of my church experiences. I came to faith in Christ when I was eight. And <clears throat> my parents and I, well, my parents, I'm with my parents, obviously, we moved around over periods of time to a, a lot of different kinds of churches. On the, I mean, they were all conservative, but but they were pretty broad-based, from a fundamental Baptist to a mildly charismatic gathering. Down when we lived in Brazil for a couple years, and and, and a variety of things in between. So, um, and, and I also have the opportunity to speak at a variety of churches, uh, churches that have different stances on different kinds of things. So it's. Um, It's fascinating for me to see sometimes what churches do. Sometimes uh, churches do things that make us a bit concerned, though. Uh, Case in point, remember when I was in uh, high school, junior high school, sorry. I had a real good friend whose name was Danny Stone. So I was at the local Baptist church, and he was at the local Pentecostal church. And so... I invited him over to our church, and um, it, it was in Sunday school with the youth they brought him up because he was new and ha- took him through some interesting song where they 're flipping him upside down and all I mean you know what the Baptists do that kind of stuff huh? and, and 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 it was it was devastating for him, and he never came back just you know i I, I was in seventh grade, I thought it was funny, but no perspective, just no perspective. And then we would go and visit their church. And we would get to the end of the service, and at least this was their custom. They would have an open time at the end where it seemed like everybody in the church was speaking in tongues, but my parents and I. And that was a little bit disconcerting for me too, frankly. Because I didn't have a clue what anybody was saying. I was only in junior high. You see that stuff, don't you? All kinds of extremes in all kinds of different churches. I've been in other churches where I've heard people get up and speak, and they've spoken absolute heresy. Sometimes guaranteeing and promising people that they will be wealthy if they do a certain amount of things. Or they'll be healthy and never get sick. And they curse people in doing that, to be honest with you. It's not biblical. And I've been in other churches where um, they're so spontaneous. I'm a pretty spontaneous guy. But I've been in some some churches where they're so spontaneous that you don't have a clue what's going to come next. And I don't think the people running it do either. It's not just our day, folks, where people struggle with these kinds of things. It was a problem in the first century. And Paul in 1 Corinthians 11, 12, 13, and 14, all those chapters deal with issues that go on when the church gathers for worship. And, and understandably, there, there, there's controversial things there along the way. I, I, I get it. But Paul's willing to speak into these things. When you come to 1 Corinthians 14, 12, 13, 14, but 14 in particular, one of the challenges was this. Some people who had the gift of tongues, and maybe I'll just... Well, that's how the chapters develop. Chapter 12, Paul talks about God gifting people, chapter 13, the importance of love. And then he hones in on chapter 14 and deals specifically with prophecy and tongues, which is what we're going to talk about today, okay? So what you have happening in the first century in Corinth is you have some people who have the gift of tongues, which means they were able to speak in an unknown language But they didn't know what they were actually saying. But they knew it was from God. And um, it it was exhilarating to have that opportunity. You, You understand that, right? And so they had this gift where they were able to speak this unknown language. The problem was the people sitting in the congregation didn't know what they were saying either. And Paul has to speak into that issue in chapter 14. And what he's going to argue, so I'll kind of tip my hat before we even get to it, what he's going to argue is everything we do in in the congregation should be to edify the people. And it, it should be done in a way that they understand because it's stated clearly. They can apply it because it's biblically accurate. And it's done in an orderly way. I mean that's really where Paul is going in this book, but but so so he's got to take folks with this gift and basically say what does it mean to use this in a way that edifies the people of God, and what he does is he, he compares and contrasts it with prophecy. Now, I've listed for you these two gifts: the gift of tongues. I guess I can look back there. There's a screen back there. I forget that. Okay. There's the gift of tongues, and there's the gift of prophecy. Um, And and, and just so you know, these things are debated, but I'm going to give you my take on it. My take is in dark. Tongues is prayers of praise to God or revelations from God. They can also be songs, you'll find out in this passage. People can sometimes sing this. okay? Um, In a language always unknown to the speaker and often unknown to the hearer. The reason I had to say that is in the book of Acts, there were certain individuals who, in Acts 2, when they spoke tongues, they didn't know what they were saying. They knew it was from God. But because there was all kinds of different groups represented in Acts 2 at Pentecost from all around the empire, some heard him speaking, in, some heard Parthian, some heard Iranian, some heard Latin, some heard, some heard, some heard. So in Acts 2... People were hearing and understanding what what was being said. But in Corinth, they weren't. The vast majority anyway, for all practical purposes. And so what you have then is someone is speaking a language unknown to themselves, and that's always the case, and in Corinth, unknown to the people that are listening. So Paul's got to deal with that. And then there's the gift of prophecy. And I have to tell you, this is another difficult one. Um, And I've gone in my own studies, if you would track me over the last 10 years, you would find that I've moved around some on this one because it's not easy. But when it's all said and done, I would see prophecy as someone who receives an infallible authoritative message from God just like the Old Testament prophets. Okay? Okay. The reason, that, the reason I say that's so important is because Paul will say that the foundation of the church is based on the apostles and the prophets. So it's a foundation structure that is absolutely critical to the ongoing growth of the church. Okay? And we're going to come back to some things at the end, because if you don't have a bunch of questions, you're not listening. You might not be anyway, but, 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 but I, what I want to do is this. I want to go back to the first century And just walk right through 1 Corinthians 14 and see what Paul says to those people then and there. Because he wants at the end of the day for the people of God to be built up. That's the purpose. Okay? Then we're going to come to the thorny question at the end. So what's that mean for us today? Okay? So we'll get there, but we're just not going to start there. Does that make sense? Let's talk it through and then then we'll 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 make some concluding points along the way, and I have to tell you this also, you will have questions probably when this is all done, so feel free to come and talk to any one of us about any questions that you might have, all right because we want to handle it in a way that honors God but is also sensitive to the people of God all right, so let's jump into the passage um, and see what he says. I think the passage and and one of the things we do back at the school is they w- w- when they teach, when we teach, there, there's certain kinds, and Don and I have talked some about this, and I think I violate his the rules appropriately, but you shouldn't put too much on a PowerPoint. That's probably too much. However, I really wanted to get it all in there, and that's only half, so sorry. Okay, so squint if you have to. Yes, I'm violating rules that I'm taught that I'm supposed to be doing as a teacher, it is, but we're going to do it anyway, right? I just want you to be able to follow with the passage as we walk through here. So imagine that you are living in the church at Corinth in the first century. And you've got all the gifts that are mentioned in, in 1 Corinthians 12. You see it right there in Corinth. You may have the gift of helps. That doesn't seem quite as glamorous, does it? I mean, you're there when people are sick and you care for them, but what's that? What's that is very important. We learned that in chapter 12. But you've got all kinds of people, and and you've got some individuals, because they have the gift of tongues, they kind of think that that puts them above others. Because that's a really cool one, you know? And that's what they were thinking. And so Paul's got to speak into that here in this passage. So you can see then, prophecy... He'll say in the first 25 verses Prophecy is to be pursued above, now this is important, above uninterpreted tongues because only that which is intelligible can edify. I mean, I think that's his argument when it's all said and done. I know this is a little teachy, so stay with me, okay? I'll, I'll illustrate along the way. First five verses Prophecy is superior to uninterpreted tongues. For the edification of believers. Listen to what he says in the first five verses. And I'm reading from the NIV. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? So, as a body of Christ, as you're here together, he, Paul, if you're the Corinthians, Paul is telling all of us look, you should, as a body, Desire these greater gifts. What are the greater gifts? Paul's going to define the greater gifts as the gifts that edify. Do you see? And that's why he's going to compare and contrast prophecy in tongues and qualify things along the way. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries By the Spirit. It doesn't mean what they're saying is wrong. It's just that nobody understands. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Do you see the difference? If I stand before you and I speak in an unknown tongue and there's no interpretation, you may go out and say, well, that was interesting. What did what Finkbeiner say? I have no idea. But he, w- he was pretty excited about it. No, no. But I am. And they were too. Because God used me. I get it. Okay? I mean, I, I get it. But, but at the end of the day, if I stand before you and I do what I do for Doug Finkbeiner, I've got it all backwards, don't I? Okay, verse, verse 4, anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, and here's the qualifier, unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. Do you see what he's saying? Edification drives this entire process. And Paul says, I'm not against these gifts. If, if God so designed that we had all of them, that would be great. He hasn't. First Corinthians 12 told us that. But yeah, the more the merrier, right? So he's not against the gift of tongues. He's against using the gift of tongues in the church if it's not interpreted. Okay, verse 6. Now, brothers and sisters, so this is that second point there. An interpretation of tongues is the correction to the problem of uninterpreted tongues in the assembly. Okay, Paul. So you're saying you have a problem with someone speaking in tongues, an unknown language to themselves and others. You have a problem with that. Paul says, yes, I do. So what what are we supposed to do? Paul says, I'll tell you, verse 6. Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? In other words, if it's not articulated and understood in those other ways, revelation, knowledge, prophecy, word of instruction, teaching, it's not going to help. Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as the pipe or harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for the battle? Did you see Sam up here playing today? Where's Sam? Where's Sam? I'm sorry. Sam, I'm sorry. Okay. But it it blessed my heart. But I want you to know something, Sam. Carmelo has never asked me to come up and play an instrument. (laughs) Have you, Carmelo? For good reason. For very good reason. You did great. Mine would be skid hour. okay? Because when I try to play an instrument, I don't know what I'm playing, and nobody else does either. So you've had that. All of our kids had to take instruments. Um, my wife is musical. I'm not terribly musical. I appreciate music. I'm just not real good at it. So we had all of our kids had to play instruments. And you know what it's like listening to them play the trumpet when they first get the trumpet? Or the violin or something like that. Oh, and you're going, Lord, come back now, please. I mean, You know what I mean? Yeah, you, got, you get that, don't you? But, but Paul says, if you got people coming... And they're, they're giving this tongue, and nobody has a clue what they're saying. It's not a whole lot different than those instruments. You see? It's, it's not helping. There's no, no, no melody that people can even figure out. goes on to say this, then. So it is with you, verse 9. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you're saying? You'll just be speaking into the air. It's going to be gone before anything happens. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker is a foreigner to me. So it is with you. Since you are eager for the gifts of the Spirit, try to excel excel in those that will ultimately build up the church. He uses the illustration of foreign languages. We lived in Brazil for a couple of years. And my father, dear man, he's with the Lord now. Just a godly man. I miss him dearly even to this day. And he was such a great example for me. But he was no linguist at all. And I remember we, we had a, a, a Brazilian maid who didn't speak a lick of English. And he thought if you spoke English slow and put the word E at the end of every word, she would get it. U-E, make-E, us supper? And she didn't have a clue. I mean, it was just going right over her head. And Paul says, do you see? There's, there's no communication. It's just, it's gone. Paul says, it, it's, it's not the way to do this. Verse 13. For this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say, or, or someone else. You'll find out later, it goes both ways in the text. I, I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my understanding. Otherwise, when you are praising God in the spirit, how can someone else who is now put in the position of an inquirer say amen to your thanksgiving since they do not know what you're saying? You are, you are giving thanks well enough, but no one else is edified. If I exercise my gift before you for me, that's not what it's about. All of our gifts are to be edified for the good of the body. Yeah, but I feel good when I do it. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. That's not the point. It's for the good of the body. Okay. goes on to say this then in verse 18. So where am I back there? I'm still on the second one. Okay. Uh, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you, which is a really interesting statement. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to spend much time on it. Just, I'm not going to spend any time on it. But it's a really fascinating statement. Okay. Absolutely. I wish Paul would tell us more about it. That's all he tells us. But in a church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Because Paul says, my goal is to edify. Not to have an experience, but to edify the people of God. Brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants. But in your thinking, be adults. It's not about doing what I want to do. It's doing what God's called me to do in such a way... That the body is edified. Does that make sense? Okay. And then he quotes from this passage in Isaiah 28. and I'll read it and just make the application. Again, it's a fascinating context. But I'm also looking at my clock. So, But he makes this quote. In the law it is written. And, and, and you, Paul can use the word law for the entire Old Testament. Don't think the first five books necessarily. Because this passage is from Isaiah. All right. In the law, it is written, with other tongues and through the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people, but even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Tongues, then, are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is not for unbelievers, but for believers. Paul saying this, think about the nation of Israel when they went into exile. When they were in that foreign land, and whether it's Assyria or Babylon, depending upon which group you're looking at, but when they were in that foreign land, they didn't know Assyrian. They didn't know Babylonian. They didn't know those languages. So, so the fact that they could not communicate was a statement that uh, this is not clear what's going on. We are not where God wants us to be. This is a problem. I don't understand. I don't like this. He's going to go on to say, that's what happens to unbelievers and and inquirers who might be kind of like newbie Christians, okay, but that's debated too. Listen to Paul's application. This is really interesting. Verse 22, 23. So, if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and inquirers, Maybe newbies. Some argue that they're lost people who are just right on the verge of becoming Christians. Sometimes what we call in our day seekers. Maybe. Hard to say. But anyway, you've got these people who aren't in the in group. And inquirers or unbelievers come in. Will they not say that you are out of your mind? But if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin. They are brought under judgment by all, as the secrets of their heart are laid bare. So they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among us. Now, they're really two different responses. Is it possible for people to come and visit and go, you guys are nuts? That's what it says. And to come back another time and say, God is in this place. I heard I understood. I felt something in my soul. It's true. I want Jesus as my Savior. They're two different responses. And if people don't understand, they may walk away and say, you're crazy, or you're mad, as the text says. Do you see Paul's concern? He's not saying tongues are out. But they've got to come under certain controls controls and restraints. So look at what he says here in verse 26 and following. This is even a worse slide, folks. Look at all the stuff I put on there. And it's better. What I sent to to Don and Mark, it was longer than that. And it was a good, it's good we condensed it, guys. Anyway, so, but there's the stuff. Paul now is going to say, okay, okay, now that I've talked about the importance of when you preach, or when you sing, or when you share, or whatever you do, that it's intelligible. Now let me tell you how how these can function within a gathering. Does that make sense? So he picks this up in verse 26 to 36. What then shall we say, brothers and sisters, when you come together... Okay, so that's, that's, that's a gathering. Each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, that would be tied into prophecy, a tongue or an interpretation of that tongue. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. We got all kinds of gifted people here. Some people, some people, i 'm amazed when I see people who can actually compose music it 's a mystery to me i 've never been able to quite figure it out, but some people come and 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 they come and they, they actually put before you uh, this incredible song and, and maybe it 's one they already knew or one that they 've composed themselves. It could be both here, but they 're going to bring to us songs. Folks, are you edified with what goes on up here with uh, we are the, the, and, and what I love about our worship team, I've seen a lot of worship teams through the years, folks. And and I don't know how else to say this, and I'm not trying to toot their horns. But this group understands humility and ministry for the glory of God. I really, I mean, I really believe that. I mean, unless they're just totally hoodwinking me all the way through. But they've been doing it for a long time. Okay. Gotta watch Carmelo. That's I'm all I can say. But uh, otherwise, otherwise I'm good. Okay, no, I'm 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 kidding. No, but but you know what I mean? What it that, that is so rich, and so Paul says, I know Paul wants participation, I want participation from from different groups. So so people come with all these things, and you you almost get this idea that he's saying, People are going, like, come on, man, I'm ready. Paul says, Okay, 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 let's talk about it, all right. He goes on to say this in verse 27. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at most three should speak. Do you see how he's already bringing some restraint there? One at a time. So, like, my experience when I was with my buddy in that Pentecostal church uh, years ago, when, like, it was just everybody all at the same time, I mean i don 't see that in the text, do you i mean that 's not what it says one at a time, no more than two or three, and someone must interpret so someone says man i i, I you may but but you can 't Paul says there at corinth because it 's got to edify it 's not about you it 's about the people of God, if there is no interpreter. The speaker should keep silent, keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. So you may do that privately, you may do that in a host of ways, but not in the gathering. In verse 29, he's going to switch gears and talk about the prophet. Two or three prophets should speak. And the others should weigh carefully what is said. And, and, and again, although this is debated I think the others that are actually evaluating the prophets are probably the leaders of the church who can analyze and say, mm, no, no, nope. that goes clearly against what, what the apostle Paul taught." No, sorry, that, that's not going to go. Yeah, that, that kind of a thing, all right? And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. Boy, that's really good advice. You know, have you ever been in set- settings, I, not here, other places, I've been in settings where we've asked people to give multiple testimonies, and we, you try to tell people, look, you got three minutes, because there's two more coming after you, please try to keep it to three minutes. And I don't know what clock they're using, but they just, I mean, they just go on and on and on, and you, and you go like, you know, uh, because Paul's a realist, Okay? You got some other people here, so like one at a time, don't hog all the time. That's what he says, okay? For you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. Then he says this, the spirits of prophets are subject to the control of the prophets. Apparently, he had some people at Corinth that were saying, I just can't contain myself. Paul would say, yes, you can. Yes, you can. No, I, yes, you can. It may not feel like it, but you can. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. Now, that we're into the thick of it, let me read something that's really going to, that. We, again, we, here we go. As in all the congregations of the Lord's people, women should re- remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak but must be in submission as the law says. Could be the whole Old Testament on that one. I think it's going back to Genesis. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home for it it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. James and I were talking before the the, the message, and I say, yeah, I'm doing, doing 1 Corinthians 14, he says, <laughs> it's kind of, I didn't laugh exactly, but pretty close, pretty close, right, all right, all right, let me just give you my take on this one, okay, Th- there's, I actually had another slide, but I, I saved Don and Mark from even looking at this one, but it, because it's a, it's a, there, there's at least four to five viable understandings of what's going on here. Okay. It can't mean that women can't speak in the church, though, at all. It can't mean that. You know why? Because he's just got done saying back in chapter 11 that they can. So it can't mean that. Back in chapter 11, he said women can pray in public. They can prophesy in public, but they just have to keep their head covered to show their submission to their husband and the distinction between male and female. Good, good. So... Either Paul is hopelessly contradictory or something else is going on. And I think, probably on the balance of the evidence, some scholars say maybe what happened, and I don't think this is the case. Some scholars say maybe what happened is the guy got up, to, the husband got up to give a prophecy. And in public, in front of everybody else, the wife was saying, Honey, where did you get that from? I mean, I have a whole bunch of questions for you. Like, what, you know, and, 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 and Paul would then be saying, like, don't embarrass your husband like that. Okay, that, that's possible. That's a possible view. But, but I think the view that makes the most sense to me is that he's saying when it comes to evaluating the truthfulness of the things that are spoken in the congregation, that resides with a group of men that 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 here at the chapel we call the elders. And so what would happen if uh I don't know, somebody somebody who doesn't remind me, Gary, can I use Gary? Can, Gary, Gary comes up and he shares a testimony and he looks out at us all and says, Hey folks, folks, God wants all of us to own a yacht, a home at the shore. It gives a whole I I just know it. I just know it. It's just it's 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 the will of God for all Christians. And then he sits down. And James has to come up next. He's responsible to say, Gary, I love you. But that's unbiblical. You can't say that. And I think what this passage is saying is there's a leadership team that's made up of men, as we read it in the scriptures. And those men are called to be evaluating the truthfulness of the kinds of things that are said and spoken that go on in the gathering. And so a woman cannot speak and evaluate from that perspective all the other prophecies. Women can prophesy, but they couldn't be the evaluators of the prophecy. I think that's probably what we're talking about here in the passage. To me it fits most with what's going on because what Paul keeps doing all the way through here is he's trying to harness things in and bring some restraint and constraints into the gathering. And I think that, that's what he's saying there. And, and basically, um, if she has a series of questions, rather than her playing the role of evaluator, her, when she gets home, her and her husband can discuss it. So I think that's what he's getting at here. After saying all of these things, Apparently, Paul felt that some in the Corinthian church were still going to say, uh-uh, we don't like that. Uh, th- who who do you think you are exactly, Paul? Paul's going to tell us. So notice what he says in verse 30, 36. Did the word of God originate with you? Or are you the only people it has reached? <laughs> you, you know... There are practices in all of the churches. And they come because they've come from Jesus and the apostles. And now all of a sudden you're saying, they're all wrong. Those guys are wrong. It's all us. Paul says, do you really want to say that? If anyone thinks they are a prophet or otherwise gifted by the Spirit, let them acknowledge that what I am writing to you is the Lord's command. But if anyone ignores this, they they themselves will be ignored. That's not an easy statement, folks. Paul is saying, I speak as an apostle the very words of God. Now, you may not like it, Paul says. But if you buck it and you say, no, we're going to have it our way. You're believing something that's not true, and God himself will deal with you. I mean, strong folks. Paul says, this isn't open. And then he ends by saying this. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues under constraints, right? But everything should be done in a fitting in orderly way. Okay, let me give you a point here real quick, and then I'll come back to this. Here, here's the point. Paul Paul is saying to lovingly exercise these verbal gifts in worship. Us, a loving exercise of verbal gifts in worship seeks to edify others rather than oneself by being. Biblical, clear, and orderly. That's what Paul is trying to bring into this whole thing. So, um, a couple of us were talking last week, and I wasn't sure whether I was going to show you this or not, but I thought, eh, you know, they're into it this thick now, let's just throw it out there and we'll talk about it, okay? So here's the question. That's what Paul said to the Corinthians in the first century. Make sense? What about us in the 21st century? And theologians that are all committed to the Scriptures have come down on different sides on this one. Okay? So, to make it as simple as possible, and this is my construction of trying to put all this mess together after to reading and reading for years, so this is my take. I think it's correct. It's my way to try to put it together. And I don't. I didn't create the word cessation and continuationist. That, that, that was someone else. But a cessationist says this. There are, there are individuals who look back and say, that's exactly what was happening at Corinth. I got it. But things have changed between then and now that was the time where you had apostles in Jesus Christ. It was another time in salvation history where a massive amount of revelation was being given to further God's purposes. Which when you look at history again and again and again, the time of Moses and Elijah and Elisha, Jesus Christ and the apostles, wow, you find all this incredible amount of revelation and miraculous activity. So cessationists say, and, and also... The church is built on the apostles and the prophets. Well, if it's built on them and the apostles are no longer here, maybe the prophets aren't here either. Do you see? And so what they say is some of those gifts which are bound up with the apostles, those miraculous activities, they are no longer normative practice, normal practice for the church today today. Because the scripture is saying, then it was this way, now it is this way. That would be a cessationist. Authoritative and authenticating gifts of the apostolic age largely cease sometime after the death of the apostles. When? People don't always know. Maybe, maybe when the canon was done. Prophecy, though, in my reading of church history, you're finding it for two or three centuries from my reading. Um, so, cessationist. A continuationist says, no, 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 no. No. This is stuff that continues for all of us for until Jesus Christ comes back. This is stuff that we do to the same degree, if not very close. They would be considered continuationists. And in my own experience over the last, I don't know, 40 years. Um What I found is that what has happened is you start kind of with the extremes, and so you will have continuationists over here, perhaps from the Pentecostal tradition, perhaps from the Charismatic tradition, perhaps from the third wave tradition. Okay, there's there's different different waves here, and they will look and they'll say, "You guys are ungodly." you're resisting the spirit. God will never work the way He can work. They're over here doing that. And then, way over here, you got cessationists saying, You guys are living like the devil. You, that, that, that's not from God at all. And, and you know, they're just kind of lobbing back and forth. You, you know? And what's happened is there's been mediating positions. And Again, this would be the way I would say it. I know individuals who are strong cessationists, who are very cautious about all of that, period. When you say, hey, somebody was healed, uh, really? Let's look at that. They would have gotten better anyway. Or, or, or you say, I saw this, and this happened in the mission field. They're going to be very critical... They're very cautious because they don't believe that some of those gifts carry over. Sometimes they can, be, they can say some things that I think are really unkind, okay? So you have this kind of moderating position that I would call cautious but open. They're still cessationists. They think there's a difference between the then of the apostolic age. We don't have apostles today. And folks, that's one that our entire leadership team has agreed on. There are no apostles, big A apostles today. That was part of the foundation of the church. And so this position will say, you know, I'm cautious about seeing that stuff all as normative because it was so much pointing to what the apostles were uniquely doing, but I'm open to God doing what he wants, when he wants, for whatever reason he wants. I mean, it's really hard to see what goes on in the mission field I I mean, I don't think you can, well, I don't think you can, maybe you do, but I don't think you can deny the fact that Muslims are coming to faith in Christ through dreams. I mean, it's happening. I don't don't know how you could say that's not the case. So uh, a cautious but open cessationist says, I'm not going to put God in a box. God can do miracles. He'll do miracles as the people of God pray. Let's pray for it with all our heart. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just not so much convinced that there's a particular individual in the church you always go to if you want healing. Just not, I'm not sure about that one. Yes, pray for healing. Yes, expect miracles. Yes, in the mission field, don't ex- let God be God. See what I'm saying? Cautious, but open. This over here, a very open position. Am I going to? I shouldn't go any further than here, right? Okay. <laughs> they even, they even blocked me in here. What I need is a cage. Okay. A cage would be really helpful. Okay. That probably would help. I won't go there. I had some other thoughts, but we'll forget that. Okay. So, a very open position here. It's freewheeling, folks. A- a- and I have to tell you, I'm concerned about both extremes. I'm concerned about, because what ultimately happens here. It's the sufficiency and the authority of Scripture gets compromised. I, I, I have a, a dear friend whose name will remain anonymous. And he, he's, he's here. And he's got a heart of gold. He loves souls. He evangelizes. He puts me to shame. He evangelizes so much. So he's my friend. He's, he, he knows Christ deeply. I don't question any of that stuff. But he wants this stuff so bad That this is kind of boring, to be honest with you. That's a problem to me. And so my 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 purpose with him is not to take him over here. My purpose here is to fudge him to the middle. Because in the middle, you have people who are open. They see the gifts as being largely, not not maybe as maybe not quite as much during as the apostles' time, but but but, but they're, they're, they see them continuing, but they're very cautious to evaluate everything by the word of God. I mean, big time, that, that, that's their passion. So, where would people here, where might I put the, the, the chapel on here? Okay, this is, this is, uh, this is my take right there. So I'll go back, right? You will feel most comfortable here at the chapel. You won't feel as comfortable here at the chapel if you're on either extreme. You won't. Even our leadership team, we've got mild cessationists, or modified, whatever it says, and modified continuationists on our elder board. We We don't fully agree. On this. We are not going to put God in a box. But we are never going to violate the supremacy and sufficiency of the word of God. This will always be the thing that matters above all. Do you see? And so that's, did that make sense? I don't know, I hope I didn't confuse you with all that. But that's my take, and I didn't have a chance to throw this by James and the elders, but Okay, good enough. All right? Yeah. I mean, it's a little bit late to say no, guys. No, 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 no. <laughs> I should have told you earlier, guys. Okay. But that's that's where the chapel, chapel is, and and so for us as 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 a, as, a, as, a, as a church, what we want above everything else is that you will do this very thing. For for all of our music folk that are up here, we want you to lovingly exercise your gifts in worship, so that you ultimately might edify everybody here. And it, it's, it's, it's not about being um, a prima donna. Have you ever seen prima donnas when it comes to music? Wow. I've also seen it with preachers. So, okay, it's true all the way. But rather when our people perform, I, I, I've, I've been in churches, and this is one of the things I love about the chapel, okay, I love the fact that we always put the words up when we're singing. I think that's biblical from 1 Corinthians 14. Do, do you see why? Because at the end of the day, what's most important, the, the music is important because it should, be, it, it should be a servant of and consistent with the words, correct? So that my whole being is saying, yes, with all my heart. Yeah, I mean, we're not mural intellectuals. We're emotional people. So the music is wonderful. But it's in service to the words, which is why we put the words up. I, I've been in settings, and maybe it's my age. I don't know. I don't have a clue what they're saying when, 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 when they sing. The, the music, boom, boom. I mean, it's powerful. But I'm trying to think. They don't put the words up, and people are, are singing, but, or, or the guys up there are singing, and I don't have a clue what they're saying. That doesn't strike me as being biblical, folks. That's what I love about what we do here. Someone gives a testimony. They have a prompting in their heart they want to share. Whatever. If I get up and preach, James gets up to preach or Tim gets up to preach. For all of that, it should be done in a way that it's orderly. It should be done in a way that it's clear. And it should be done in a way that it's consistent with the teaching of God's word. And that is our passion for what we do together. Do we always get it right? Nope. Do we fudge one way or the other sometimes? Probably. But it is our passion to communicate this way in the church setting. I'm done. (laughs) Let's pray. Father, This whole passage is about the body of Christ. A body which is united, which loves, which cares for one another, but is also willing to agree to disagree on things. Lord, help us not to allow some of our nuanced differences to ever pull us apart as a body. Help us instead to take our questions and our concerns to you with one another into the word of God and allow you to continue your good work in our lives so that we might be the people of God, that this body would be known as a body that exercises the gifts out of an incredible passion to love and edify others, consistent with the word, clear as can be, and done in an orderly and organized fashion. Father, if you will do that good work among us, we will be eternally thankful. In Christ's name I pray, amen.